About eight years ago, my wife and I were driving in our car across eastern Wyoming, and I got a phone call from a then young man, uh, Chris Townley, and ironically, he was actually on his honeymoon. I don't know what he was doing calling me uh, on his honeymoon, but that's beside the point. He wanted to talk a little bit about ministry. He just felt like God was nudging him toward wanting to invest his life in ministry and wondered if I knew of any opportunities around that. I said, well, just finish your honeymoon and then come home and we can talk a little bit about that. And as I met with Chris, we talked a little bit about this church plant then that I had gotten connected with called Journey Church. And we started to explore if there'd be some opportunities around there. Well, long story short, Chris became one of our student ministries interns at that point. And then not long after that, uh, Chris became our student ministries pastor And not long after that, Chris has just grown into and become one of our most beloved and favorite teaching pastors around here at Journey. I just feel like in some ways we've gotten to watch him uh, grow up in, in many ways. I don't know if he's completely grown up yet, but we've watched him grow up as a man of God and as a leader and as a communicator. And, and if you know Chris, I think it would be very easy for you to say you've been blessed by him and the gifts that God has given him. Well, I'm going to invite Chris up because he's going to tell us about some really cool news in his life and a new opportunity that the Lord is inviting, in, inviting him into. So let's invite Chris Townley to the stage. Thanks, Bob. Um, so I tried to fake the grown-up thing and wore a tie and tucked my shirt in. Uh, I think I'm pulling it off so far. Uh, so about two years ago, my wife uh, came up with this dream that she wanted to be a doctor, uh, like the medical kind, right? And so uh, over the last two years, we've known that at some point that would probably mean leaving Bozeman because Bozeman does not have a medical school. So two years ago, she began the process of doing just some more undergrad work, some, some pre-med stuff she had to finish. And then this last year, she began medical school at the University of Arizona in Phoenix. And so for the last nine to 10 months or so, My wife has been in medical school in Phoenix, and I've gone back and forth between Bozeman and there about every two weeks, so kind of a crazy season for us. In the midst of all of that, something that we've just been praying through and trusting God on is what would be next for us? What does that look like? Does that mean we keep going through this season apart from one another? Does this mean that we change scenery and We're going to change scenery. Uh, I've accepted a position at a church in Phoenix called New City Church, and I begin in the middle of June, and so today would be the day I get the opportunity to say goodbye to all of you. Uh, Yeah, thank you for being sad. I'm sad too. Um, And I I don't really know how you do these things, so it's the first time I've done this. Like Bob said, I mean, not long ago, I was calling him on my honeymoon, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, and so... Uh, off we go for this new season. I, I think it maybe seems a little, I don't know, forced or even just like, duh. But thank you to all of you for giving me the opportunity to, just like Bob said, grow into the, the man I'm becoming, for the opportunities to wear a baseball hat while I preach, from the opportunities to make mistakes and grow and learn. Uh, I would not be the, the person I am today without Journey Church being a, a part of that, and that includes all of you, whether this is even your first time here. So welcome to you, if that's you. I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah. Some of our leaders and staff are going to come up here. We're going to 
lay some hands on Chris and pray for him. And if you're out there and you feel comfortable, I'd just love to have you extend your hand toward Chris, just symbolically saying, uh, we send you, um, we are with you in this. This isn't goodbye. Well, it kind of is. These things are so bittersweet and they're hard for me. I don't know why they asked me to pray because I'm going to probably cry. (laughs) And maybe that's why they asked me. It's only because we love you. Father, we are grateful for Chris. Lord, we sense and have watched your anointing on him. We have been the recipients of great blessing from that anointing. Lord, there's so much fruit that has been born for your kingdom around this place because of who you've made Chris to be and how you've used him during this time, Lord. And for that, we are so grateful. And Lord, we know how your kingdom works And it's not always just about one little place, Lord. You have people, you have lost sheep all over the world that you long to see come to know you. And we just pray that you would send Chris with your power and authority to Phoenix. And we want to thank you in advance for all those people around the Phoenix area and through New City Church that are going to come to faith in you because of Chris's passion for you and his ability to make your word come alive. Lord, we're thankful for all that, and we're just thankful for what you're going to do through Chris, and we say thank you for the season we've had with him here. We are so grateful. And all God's people said, amen. Love you. So I guess now you preach. Um, There's not really a script for these things, right? Uh, hey, Journey, good to see you guys. Uh, glad we could, could be together. Uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to share with you guys today. But before we began this series called Physical Faith, uh, I had wanted to preach an entire four-week series on communion, right? The Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. And, and it was going to be an awesome four-week communion series uh, but then here we are in the second week of our series, Physical Faith, and they said, well, you have one week for the communion series that you would like to do. And I'm not bitter about that because I'm leaving and like everybody's sad and all that stuff. So I'm just going to preach all four of those sermons right now. So that just about 30 minutes each. And then I, I had this other idea that like just around saying goodbye in general, what that even looks like. So I had created in my own head and heart like a, a two-week series on, on how to say goodbye, and it kind of sprung up on us here. So I'm going to do those two. And then uh, if, we've, if you've ever been around at all, I thought it would only be fitting to do at least a few versions of the parable of the prodigal son, which is, is some sermon that I've preached numerous times. So we're around 10 sermons for one Sunday. Is that... Some of you are like, yeah, let's go. I, actually, I have a winky emoji in my notes that says, like, you can't actually do that, Chris. You can only preach one sermon. So in all, in all seriousness, though, or as, as much serious as, as someone can muster when they're like a blurry combination of, of excitement for what's to come and sadness for what's been, there are a few things that stir my soul more than the power of the table of Christ, the, the communion table. And then there's no other way maybe even that I'd want to, to end my 
preaching here with something other than this, right? That this place, these tables that we have represented, that, that that's where we meet Jesus, and that's where we remember him and his love by way of the, the blood and his broken body, by way of the wine and the bread, the, the grapes and the grain. And on another personal note, that I promise it's not all about me. At some point, it will be about Jesus. But on a, on a personal note, like, Here's the trajectory of the last three times that, that I've stood on this stage and shared that the first and the last three was Easter Sunday. And then that was followed by sharing at my friend Jens Anderson's celebration of life service. And then here we are today saying goodbye while preaching on the beauty of the table of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a fitting progression though, isn't it? Right, like the power of the resurrection. And then we've got the pain of death and the celebration of life. And then we have this, this place where we hold on to hope and, and we remember right, in the form of communion, in the form of the body and blood that is Jesus, a place where Jesus again invites us to remember. His table isn't set for the qualified, for the good, for the worthy. It's set for those who are hungry, for those who are in need. And it's this confounding beauty that that we don't have to earn our way into the presence of Jesus. And I think there's something about a statement like that, earning our way. Like we don't have to do that, but but we still are a little squeamish at that. We we squirm and, and we think that maybe that's too good to be true. That, that there's, there's always got to be, right? We're like, surely we have to do something or earn something or perform a certain way in order to come to Jesus. Something in us believes that the, the invitation to remember the example and sacrifice of Christ, to partake in communion, necessitates this card of these boxes that we've checked off a certain way before we can go and have the bread and have the wine. And so I say let's place all of our cards on the table, double meaning there, because here's what I believe. I believe you're all on the guest list. Jesus is already expecting you. You are on the guest list. And so let that idea that you are on the guest list sink in and let's pray and then we'll see what God has for us. God, we thank you so much again for this morning the opportunity to be together as a church family, the opportunity to come before you and see what it is you have for us. My prayer is that, again, we wouldn't be lost in the fact that I'm saying goodbye, that we wouldn't be lost in the fact of the things that have happened in our life over this last week, but that we would just be fully present and attentive to you in this moment right now, and that we would truly believe, God, that you are with us and that you want to speak directly to each one of our hearts. And we trust you with that, God. And lastly, I pray that again, you would give me your words to say that this wouldn't be at all about me. I can't do this without you, God. So whatever it is we need to hear this morning, would you let it come out of my mouth and would you let it glorify you? We love you so much and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we read from 1 Corinthians and Paul's account of the Lord's Supper, I think it'd be helpful for you to know some of my experience with communion. Right, so I grew up in the church, and growing up in the church, I remember so clearly these tiny little pieces of bread, right, in this metallic tray, and they would, they would come down the aisle, and you would take one of the little ones, all right, and you, you would 
you would hold it in your hand like this, and you're like, this is the body broken for me, right? And you would, you would hold this piece of bread, and then next would come this metallic tray of tiny little grape juice cups, right? Little plastic cups, and those were my favorite, right? I couldn't wait to drink the grape juice, and then immediately after drinking the grape juice, I would stick my tongue in the tiny little cup, right? And I'd like get out all the rest of the grape juice, not because I wanted more of Jesus, but because I wanted more grape juice, right? And so these things would come down the aisle. So the table of Christ was actually really foreign to me. It was something that we did seat, seated out there as it, as it came down, which is whatever it is at that point. And so as I grew older, and this isn't anyone's fault really but my own, I got lost in like the, the ceremony of communion, right? Because over and over again, I would hear 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read in a second, where, where Paul would essentially be like, hey, and be really careful when you take communion, for you might be heaping judgment on your head, or, or I don't know the exact translation, right? It, it was intense, and so I started to think of it as ceremony or, or I was doing like play acting to make sure in my own heart I had it already together and, and figured out. It was this guilt-driven practice for me to prepare for communion, right? As if the best case scenario was, you know, you take the tiny little bread and the grape juice and you're like, that's it? Right? Nothing great happens. That's the best, ca best case scenario. Nothing great happens. But the worst case scenario was that at that point, like I'm thinking I'm probably 18 or 19 when this is happening. Right? At that point, I have some unconfessed sin in my life that I had not had time to confess or I could not remember. And as I drank that juice, right, it was then the judgment was coming upon me. And I could feel that. And so that's my background, but what's interesting for me to think about now is, is like, here's the thing, the central scandal of the ministry of Jesus was all around this idea of who Jesus chose to share a meal with. Like, that's what always made people angry, is who was Jesus eating with and why? And so always it was these people, right, who didn't have it all together. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have it all dialed in. It was just anyone who had a desire to meet with him and eat with him. That's who Jesus ate with. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if perhaps that is what Paul meant or means in 1 Corinthians. So let's take a look if you have no idea what I'm talking about. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 11 starting in verse 23. Follow along on your notes page or up here, and I'm going to read it. Here's what Paul has to say. Speaking about communion, the Lord's Supper, here's what he says. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so if we stop there, okay, we get that, right? That's, that's it, right? You, you, the bread and the wine, and you do this to remember him. I think we get that, and we're all pretty much probably on board. That, we, that makes sense. Here's where I always got a little caught up, starting in verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's intense. 
right? That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. See, so it was possible to take communion and die. Like I, I, so I thought, we'll get there, okay? 31 here. He keeps going. He says, but if you would examine yourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. So here's Paul's letter. This is his instruction, right? And now, now let me give you some background on why Paul is addressing the church like this. Right? He's explaining, I've taken this from the Lord. I've received this from the Lord, which is the Lord's Supper, the communion piece, the bread and the wine. Here's where that came from. Here's what you do. But that challenge then that's next has a few different tiers to it. The first thing we have to remember is that the Lord's Supper was a meal, Right, it was a meal. It was not the tiny pieces of bread or even the bread that we will use later. Right, it wasn't just that. They were having a whole meal. Right, and so when you go to a whole meal, you eat to be filled and sustained, right? You don't just eat tiny pieces of bread. So it's an actual meal. And what was happening in the church in Corinth is that the meal, usually supplied by the wealthier people in the church, was being consumed completely before those who were poor or those who were less off or those who were on the outside could come and eat anything. And so here's this big meal, this the Lord's Supper that they're having to remember Jesus and all that he was and did. And they're eating and eating and eating and then they're full and they're happy, yet they've excluded those who need the meal the most. So there's these people who are a part of their church community who are now on the outside, not getting a chance to participate in the meal with them, right? Essentially what's happening here is the church is neglecting the role reversal that Jesus had modeled and intended, right? Because if you remember, Paul didn't say it here, but what happened right before the Last Supper, right? Like Jesus gets all of his disciples together and he does something for his disciples. Do you remember what he did? Yeah, he washes their feet, right? He serves them. He, he reverses the roles. He becomes like the servant. He becomes like the slave. And he says, this is the backwards way of my kingdom again. And so now, here's Paul trying to help the church in Corinth with the whole role reversal thing. Right? Because they keep taking it upon themselves to be in charge. And all of a sudden, this mirrors the way of the world. There is division. There is exclusion. It's almost like Paul is actually saying in all of that, if anyone is left out, you're doing it wrong. Right? If anyone is excluded from eating, you're doing it wrong. Right? So, so what is Paul saying then to the Corinthians here? He's saying they had turned the Lord's Supper into their supper. Right? They had taken ownership of who was going to eat and who wasn't. And because here's what I think when he talks about the death. When you can't see the humanity of the people around you at the table, when you can't see the humanity of the people joining you at the feast, that's as if to say you're dying. 
you're missing it, the whole point. You're missing out on what God intended all along. So this is Paul's charge. Not that we would get all of our crap collected, junk collected, whatever. It's my last one. All of our crap collected. <laughs> Man, that's a good point too. Like this is, this is Paul's charge. Not that we'd get all of our crap collected, but that we would not miss the humanity of all who come to the table, all who are hungry, all who are humble, all who are in need, that we would not be blinded to those around us. Like think about how revolutionary the Lord's Supper truly is. Right, because sometimes it can get lost just like it did to me in the ceremony. Think about this, right? There, there's, there's certain religions and, and ways of having feasts, right, where you do the burnt offerings and you, you essentially feed the gods. Or even there's, there's some religions where you like eat the gods, so to speak. Yet here's the Lord's Supper where the God that's being talked about actually eats with you. Right, you might remember that it's God with us. And it changes the way everyone would perceive a feast. And I would say let's take that even just one step further. Right? If the scandal of Jesus' ministry was who he invited to the table and who he shared meals with, then do we really think that Jesus would have died on a cross for that practice of inviting people to the table to be constricted in any way? Like would Jesus die so that we could say, no, you don't get to eat? You're on the outside. Like on the other side of re resurrection, I only ever see a widening of who's accepted, of who God wants in, of who God wants at the table. I never see it constricting in any way. Only more invitation to follow him, to be like him, to dine with him. Right, like the, the resurrected Jesus actually can't stop eating. Right, he's eating with everybody. He's like the cookie monster, right? But it's with wine and bread and fish, right? The communion monster. Uh, never mind. Right, but he, over and over again, he's eating with everybody. And beyond all of that, the, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, you may have heard it called too, right? Which is the Greek word for thanksgiving, right? All, all names for the same thing. Like it's just becoming increasingly meaningful for me. I keep thinking of the actual Last Supper, right, when Jesus broke the bread and gave the wine the first time. And as he broke the bread and as he shared the wine, he had not yet died, right? He had not yet sacrificed his life. He hadn't willingly gone to the cross yet. His disciples did not know it was the Last Supper while they were partaking in the Last Supper, even though Jesus told them over and over again they had no frame of reference for that. And so they're, they're sitting there at the Last Supper. Jesus has served them and washed their feet. Jesus has broken the bread and says, this is my body. Jesus has given them the wine and says, this is my blood. And they didn't know it was the Last Supper. And I would say, isn't this how it often goes when our loved ones die. We don't know it's the last anything until it is. But think about how you feel when you look back and realize that that was the last whatever. 
the last time you hiked, the last time you kissed, the last time you coached someone, the last time you shot clay pigeons together, the last time you cried, and the last time you danced, and the last time you feasted, and the last time you were served. Those lasts that you look back at now, they carry a newfound meaning. And they start to contribute to who you are and how you live. These memories, they, they persist more rigorously than the average memory because every time you remember, every time you remember, it's like they are there with you. And is that not also what the Lord's Supper is intended to be for us today? Jesus is saying, remember me because every time you do, it's like I'm there with you. It's this reminder that he's always with you. Sometimes we just need a reminder that we can taste, that we can touch, that we can smell. And we think of it with a whole different weight than when we first began. And so I start to wonder how we consecrate the moment of communion by how we act. Like we're often quiet and reverent and re remembery, right? We, we like do the communion thing at a specific time in a service and we end up building towards something emotional before or during which is happening now, right? We're prone to believe that we, by our posture, sanctify the meal. We make it something. But what if the meal Right, that the Lord invites us to actually sanctifies life? What if eating in whatever manner, in whatever emotion actually makes the rest of life matter? What if, what if meeting Jesus in this way, in which he invites all these people to the table, is what makes life significant? What if that's the thing that matters? Think about it like this. Who, who was at the Last Supper who was there? The disciples, right? You could name, you could name them, whatever. Right? But, but there was one, one guy in particular who was there who has a pretty bad reputation. This guy named Judas. Judas was there. If you don't know who Judas was, Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus that led to his crucifixion. And so Jesus, Judas is at this last supper with Jesus, which seems extreme that they would let that guy be there, except that all the disciples were there and all of the disciples ran away, right? It was only the women who stuck around anyway. So the, the moments before this is all happening, Jesus actually has a meal with all of the disciples who are going to run away and the one who betrays him. Some think that Judas partook and some don't, and I think you could probably make a claim either way. But, but it's likely that when we say no way that Judas partook in the Last Supper, no, no way that he ate the bread and drank the wine, it's more from this political view where, where if the betrayer is still invited, what does that change for us? Like maybe we don't get to make the guest list. Maybe we don't get to decide who comes to the table and who doesn't. It seems to me like Jesus is always making someone somewhere angry about who is welcome to the table. Right? People are always up in arms about who Jesus was eating with. So I guess I would say that we, the church, are probably doing it right when we get a little uncomfortable 
about who we see at the table next to us. To me, that seems to be the way of Jesus, that this is not the table of the church, this is not our table, this is not our Lord's Supper, right? It's his. And if it's, if it's the Lord's, then whoever the Lord invites is welcome there. I would say the communion table is just saying yes to Jesus. We're all people who are hungry and humble and in need, and that's why we go. We believe we will meet Jesus there again and again as we remember. And here's, here's the picture I have in my head of Jesus. Like, like, let's think like teenage Jesus, right? Like he just graduated high school college age Jesus, 19 or something, okay? And then he's at home. This isn't in the Bible. I made this up, right? And, and, and he, he's interacting with his mom, right? Mary, you know Mary? And, and he says to his mom, he says, so, mom, tonight I've invited some people to dinner. And she's like, that's great, Jesus. That's good. We'll do, we'll do a dinner tonight. Who, who all did you invite? And Jesus, and he, and he clenches his teeth, right? He's like, mm. Um, everyone, everyone is invited, mom. I invited everyone to dinner. And then so Mary and Jesus and the core of who he is goes about getting ready to serve and love and feed everyone. Even you and even me. Let's go ahead and set our things aside as as we think about that a place of reflection a place of prayer we give you some space to be silent because if you're anything like me you don't usually take even two minutes to sit in silence during your week and so here's your chance to sit just before the Lord maybe he wants to speak to you maybe you need to say something to him Maybe you just need to bask in the truth that you are on the guest list, that he's already expecting you. Take some time with him, and I'll close this here in a moment. continue to just sit in this posture of prayer and reflection as I'm thinking about the way that Jesus eats with people I I can't help but think again about the parable of the prodigal son because before that the reason Jesus even tells that parable is because there's all these religious leaders who are bent out of shape because he keeps eating with sinners And then he tells this story about this son who 
goes off and hits rock bottom and comes back. And Jesus doesn't ask him to do anything or say anything or earn anything or be anything. He just says, come to the feast. Come to the feast as you are. I don't have time for you to take a bath. I don't have time for you to give me a speech because I was already expecting you. I think that's what Jesus communicates to us over and over again when we come and we take the bread and we dip it in the wine or the juice and we remember that he was expecting us. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God who expects us, who lets us come to you And as we do that today together, would we just remember who you are and how much you loved us? And that love is in that picture of you going to the cross, your blood being shed and your body being broken. And that that's how much you love us. And then you're raised from the dead and it's by the power of the resurrection, it's your spirit at work within us that we live in that same power ourselves. And so every time we partake in communion, we remember that. That you change everything. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.